Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, that helps you. Hosea, chapter 7. We'd like to read responsibly the first 10 verses of the chapter. Allow me to begin reading in verse number 1. Now we will read the succeeding even or odd numbered verses, rather, through verse number 9. Would you read with me, please, verse number 2, along with the succeeding even numbered verses through verse number 10. Once again, that's Hosea, chapter 7. Verses 1 through 10, and reading responsively. When I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered, and the wickedness of Samaria, for they commit falsehood, and the thief cometh in, and the troop of robbers spoileth without. And they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness, Now their own doings have beset them about. They are before my face. They make the kings glad with their wickedness and the princes with their lies. They are all adulterers, as in even hated by the baker who ceaseth from raising after he hath kneaded the dough until it be leavened. The day of our king, the princes have made him sick with bottles of wine He stretcheth out his hand with scorners, for they have made ready their heart like an oven, whilst they lie in wait. Their baker sleepeth all the night. In the morning it burneth as a flaming fire. They are all hot as an oven, and have devoured their judges. All their kings are are fallen. There is none among them that calleth unto me. Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is the cake not turned. Strangers have devoured his strength, and he knoweth it not. Yea, gray hairs are here and there upon him, yet he knoweth not. And the pride of Israel testifieth to his face, and they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, I pray that you take your word this morning, illuminate it for us, speak to our hearts. Lord, do a work of grace in our hearts and lives. Lord, I pray for our families this morning. I pray a prayer blessing. May this message be a help to all that hear, we pray, and we'll thank you for it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, everyone that had something, some part in the service. Spike and Agnes, thank you for that special. Choir, thank you. Sherry, Caleb. And congregation, thank you for your congregational singing. Hosea chapter 7, 14 chapters in this minor prophet book of Hosea. Maybe by some expositors, some theologians, the two verses of verses 8 and 9 of this chapter are the text verses. And there's a lot of introduction, introductory material that needs to be said, but we're going to have to forego most of that. You go right to our verse, verse number 8 of Hosea chapter 7. As we begin this third message on family, me and my perfect or me and my real family is our, our subtitle for our series of messages. The Bible says in Hosea 7, verse number 8, Ephraim, now Ephraim was a, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, but in this context and many times throughout the Old Testament when you see Ephraim, it's referring generically to all 12 tribes of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the ten lost tribes, as we sometimes call them, and the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin. But Ephraim is, uh, is 
pictured as land of plenty, land of fruitfulness. And it's this prophet in 785 BC is speaking to, Lord's using him to speak to the entire household of Israel, both northern and southern kingdom. So the Bible says, Ephraim hath, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. The previous three verses go into more detail in regards to that analogy. But we get to verse number nine. Strangers have devoured his strength. Let me stop there and say that this time period that this passage of scripture is about is about the time period of the length of the United States of America. America is about 243 years of age. I don't know how much you can read into this, but this nation of Israel is about 220 years of age at this time, or 260 years, depending on if you want to start with David and the rise of David, or if you want to start with Solomon, but another time, another, another, another message, more detail in regards to that. But the nation is just a little over 200 years of age. And in this time period, Israel, like America, lost its core values. America, and this is not meant to be a patriotic message this morning, time does not permit for that. But America, we've lost our core values, our core beliefs. We used to say we in God we trust. We used to believe in that one nation under God. We used to believe the Bible as our foundation and our bedrock principles of our, of our, of our whole system of government and philosophy and life in general. We used to believe that God was uh, the, the head of our country. We no longer believe that. Israel got to a point where they degenerated. They got to the point where they lost their core values. And without being, being negative, but just being factual, America, we've lost our core values. And finishing the verse, and this is our punchline of our whole entire message this morning, I want you to notice verse number nine again. It is our text verse and the springboard for our message this morning. Strangers have devoured his strength, or Ephraim or Israel's strength. And notice the next phrase, and he knoweth it not. He goes on to say these words, yet, yea, gray hairs are here and there upon him, yet he knoweth not. It's like the man with black head of hair or brown head of hair, what have you, and one day he wakes up and he realizes his hair has turned white. It didn't happen overnight, it was a progress, it was a progression. And I want to deal with this subject this morning in the minutes that we have, and we only have minutes, relatively speaking, families are under assault in our country and in our churches. Now, I want to ask you, I want to talk about family values this morning. And stealing from the milk commercial, now everything's stolen from that milk commercial, but uh, uh, got any? Got milk? Remember that? Well, family values, do you got any? And if you do, where are they from? I want to give you three three parts of this message, if you will, just in sound bites, if we could, for time's sake. I want you to understand that I believe the proverbial phrase that we're, our families and our Christianity and our, our own individual lives, we're, we're like the proverbial frog in the kettle. We're being slow boiled and we don't even know it. The Bible says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the America of 2018 is not the America of 1966 or 1946, or 19, and we could keep going, or 18, or the founding of our country. We've come a long ways, as the commercial said, we came a long ways, baby, but I'm afraid not in the right, right direction. Now, I want you to consider just for a few moments this morning as we parallel 
Hosea 7, with our current state of affairs, I want you to consider the slide of family values. The slide of family values. They happen, and we'll go very quickly here if we can through this first point. First of all, they happen subtly or silently. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, remember in Genesis 1 and 2, everything was good. God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and then he rested. He created man and woman. There was no sin. But we get to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says, now the serpent was more subtle. More subtle. That's Satan himself. Than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, the first question in the Bible is Genesis 3, 1. Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? I want you to know that very subtly, very almost silently, Satan doesn't come to our ears necessarily and talk out loud and tell you to uh, try to deceive you, but he talks like the Holy Spirit of God talks. He speaks sometimes in our hearts and this world system. The Bible says in Jude, verse 1, or verse number th- uh, 4, excuse me, of Jude 1, it says that, that certain men crept in unawares into the church. There are wolves amongst, in sheep's clothing. There's false apostles of Christ. They, they, they subtly speak to you. They silently speak to you. Here in Israel, they had false prophets in their day. In Isaiah 30, verse 10, if you want another verse, the Israel chose to have prophets that spoke smooth things to them. Jeremiah, if he was alive today, Ezekiel, if he was alive today, by the way, they were both, we believe in church history, they were both, well, we know they were in prison, but we know they were both martyred. They both died for their, their faith. They were hated. They were despised. We have whole books in the Bible written by them by the Spirit of God. But in their day, they were despised. Israel wanted smooth-talking prophets. They didn't want to have prophets tell them the truth. They, wanted, they were like 2 Timothy 4 says. They wanted to have teachers having itching ears. Tell us what we want to hear. I believe the slide of family values has started, it starts subtly, starts silently. But then it, it goes a, a, a second vein, if you will, or more deeper than just subtly and silently. But this... Slide of family values is, is uh, it happens seductively. There's a seducing power. Back in Genesis 3, you need not turn there, but verse number 6, as the serpent began to question and subtly plant a seed of doubt in Eve's mind, we get to verse 6, and, he, and the woman saw, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and, and a tree desired to make one wise... There's a lot of things that are seductive in this world. There's a lot of things that are, that are pleasing to the eyes, that are soothing, that say, hey, this, this is the way, way we want to go. This is nice. This is smooth again. The Bible says when she saw these things, that she, she took the fruit thereof and did eat thereof and gave to her husband with her, and he did eat also. So, seductively. There's a lot of seductive teaching in the around the world today, and even in creeping into so-called Christian churches. Not all churches that claim to be Christian are Christian, for the record. Not all churches that claim to have the Spirit have the Spirit. Many have another gospel, another, another Jesus, which is not another, but there'll be some that trouble you. In 2 Corinthians 4, the Bible says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Let me spell this out in about 12 seconds. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, 
that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ's finished work on Calvary and you repent of your sin and ask Christ to come into your heart, he'll save you. There's the gospel, pure, pure unadulterated gospel of Christ. But there be some that trouble you and pervert that gospel. And they were, the gospel, rather the, the word of God was being perverted in Hosea's day and these family values were being destroyed and it was done, being done seductively. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11 says, lest Satan should give us, get, get an example, or should, pardon me, should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Uh, young people, let me, let me help you for a minute, not pick on you, but help you. Satan's got a lot of devices out there. He's trying to destroy you. But I'm afraid that many young people and many older people as well are, are, are ignorant of his devices, but he's seductive. He lures in. It looks enticing. It looks good on the surface. It looks pleasant. It's pleasant to the eyes and desirable. One to, to make you wise. And so we see that slightest family values, I believe, it starts subtly, uh, silently, seductively. But then thirdly, this slight of family values, and if we were to take the time to dissect this chapter of Hosea 7, we could say that it really it happens beginning in secret. You see, families slide when fathers slide. Families slide when mothers slide. And mothers and fathers slide secretly, first of all, in their heart. Here's a verse for you, 2, Corinthians 7, 2 Kings 17, verse 9. And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God. Hey, are you, have you been guilty of doing secretly those things in your heart and mind and life that are not right with the Lord your God that you wouldn't want anybody else to know about? They began it in secret. And they built them a place, the Bible goes on to say, and they built them high places in all their cities from the tower of the watchman to, uh, to the fenced city. I've been in some of these ancient ruined cities. I've been in the city of Dan now in the ancient ruins. And I've seen the high places, the groves. They always build them at the top of the, top of the city in uh, the most prominent place, the city park, the Grand Central, if you will, or the, uh, uh, of, of the city. And they, they started off their sin, they started in their heart, it started secret. But then it became public. It became open. And they actually built them and they actually plotted them. And no longer were they ashamed. They used to be ashamed. People used to sin silently, privately, in secret because they were ashamed about it. No, no longer. Now, as we learned in Sunday school, we have, and now it's been 20, 30 years now, so it's been that long, but we have folks that uh, proudly come out of the closet, proudly flaunt their sin and evil has become good and evil, good has become evil. No longer is it secret, but I want you to know the slouch towards Gomorrah, the, the, the slide of Israel, of family values. It starts off subtly, subtly, silently. It goes on seductively. It's pleasing. It's secret. It happens in the heart, but then it becomes open. It's done secretly at first, but then openly later, later on. And then, fourthly, this slide of family values, I believe it happens steadily. Now, 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8, Chronicles synopsizes, if you will, the seven chapters or so that touch in Genesis on the man Lot. The Bible says in 2 Peter 2 that he was a just, just man. They call, he's called just Lot there. That means he's righteous. 
But most of us know the story of Lot. The Bible says, in, again in 2 Peter 2, 7, and delivered just Lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked or the filthy lifestyle of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, seeing and hearing. Remember Lot, when he was in, remember the story? He was in the well-watered plains. He was with Abraham and the land got too small for both of them. And Lot looked and saw the well-watered plains of Shinar where Sodom and Gomorrah was. And he says, he says that's where I want to go. And he, he took that step. He made that decision. And he, he had, after he thought about it silently, secretly in his heart, and then he had, it became open and he went. And he ended up dwelling in the city. And then he began to, be, began to be one of the judges at the gate, if you know the story. And he began to be prominent in the city. And every day, the scriptures go on to say that in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Folks, every day our souls are being vexed by just this world that we're living in. We're part of this, the osmosis, I'm afraid, of this world is just creeping into us if we're not careful. It's just so poignant. It's so, so powerful and it's so secretive and so seductive and so silent and so subtle that we don't realize it's happening. But steadily, day by day by day, we're being, pardon the language, but we're being dumbed down as far as Bible Christianity goes. We're being, we're being seduced. And it happens a little bit every day, like the proverbial, again, frog in the kettle. Before you know it, you're cooked. And it leads me to letter E. And if we were, again, for the last time, I'll try to say it, Hosea 7 chronicles this where God says, listen, Israel, Ephraim, uh, this is your problem. This is what you've done. They, this, this slide, it happened due to, due to slothfulness. Ecclesiastes 10 and 18 says this, By much slothfulness the building decayeth, and through idleness of hands the house droppeth through. We had a beautiful uh, wedding here yesterday. People from New York City came up in a gorgeous wedding. It wasn't a big wedding, but it was a beautiful wedding. And we were out on the carport after they had stretched limo out there and so forth. They were taking pictures. They had four cameramen, and it was all, you know, all the hoopla. And, and I was talking to somebody, and I was talking to my pastor brother-in-law, Danny, and I was talking about the front steps, and I, they were taking all kinds of pictures on the front steps of the wedding party and so forth, and I said, oh, and I looked at the steps, you probably haven't noticed, I said, the steps, they need to be restuccoed, and they need to be painted, the rails are getting, getting uh, uh, rust on them, and they need to be repainted again, it's a continual ongoing maintenance project at the house of God, if we don't keep up with it, before you know it, it gets away, and one day you wake up, like the man with gray hair, it's like, how did that happen? And that's the way it is with our own Christian spiritual life. There's a little bit of slothfulness, a little bit of slumber. Proverbs 6 says this this way, verse 9. How long will you sleep, O sluggard? When will thou rise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as as an armed man. A little bit of nonchalant, a little bit of I don't care, a little bit of laziness, a little bit of slothfulness with our family, and the next day we wake up and we've raised hellions. Next day our family is gone. Next day our marriage is no more. And we say, how did that happen? The Israelites got to the point where, in, again in our text verse, where they, they woke up and, they, and after it happened, they, 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 they didn't even know it. They had backslidden so far that they didn't even realize to get to the end of the chapter, and, and you see that. And so we see this, 
slide of family values, but that leads me quickly, secondly, to the standardizing, the standardizing, I know it's a long word, standardizing, or solidifying of family values. Where do we get the standard for our family values? Now, standards always change. You know, what's good for us today is bad for us tomorrow. It's amazing. Science changes. When I was a kid, I learned that there were nine planets. But science is upgraded now, and Pluto got bopped off to the list. You know the story, you know. It's no longer a planet, supposedly. So science, now, now science is right. There's only eight planets around our... And uh, science is always constantly changing. I heard yesterday, I like this one, or Friday, I was listening to the Brad Davis show on the radio. And they had a nutritionist on, and I, man, I was shouting at the radio, and I was praising God. He said, you know, contrary to popular opinion, eggs... Salt, and uh, what was the third one? Butter, thank you, you're right, butter. You must have been listening too. And uh, eggs, salt, and butter are good for you. I said, yes, that's what I wanted to hear all my life. I mean, the day before, they were bad for me. But Thursday, when I heard the radio on the radio, it was good for me. Remember when the water, bottled water used to be good for us? Now it's bad for us. Remember when coffee used to be good, now it's bad, or is it bad, now it's good? I can't remember. Science always changes. Things are changing constantly. Academia changes. You know, the new truth is the real truth now. The old truth, that's passe, that's gone by the wayside. And on and on we can go. We're, we're, we're building our lives on sinking sand and shifting sands, our family values. But the standardizing of family values, when I was in high school, I, I went to trade school. For my last two years, Ohio did it differently than they do in Connecticut. I don't know if they did better or worse, whatever, but I had 2,000 hours of drafting. And I learned the ruler real well. Back in those days, you actually had to draw by hand mechanical drafting. And I learned, uh, I learned uh, to be precise with a ruler. It was called the rule or the cannon or the rule. And you had to be, and, and your drawing had to be accurate and had to, be, had to wor- actually work so the machinists could take it and make their part. It had to be precise, exact, and the rule never changed. The standard was constant. And I want you to know that our family values are standardizing, are solidifying, must be based on the scriptures. The word of God is our rule, our canon, our, our faith. Our, uh, Psalm 127, verse number one, when I counsel, if I ever counsel with you, you there's a few in this room that I've probably done that with, marital counseling or other counseling, I almost always start off with Psalm 127, verse one. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Except the watchman keepeth the city. The Lord keepeth the city. The watchman waketh but in vain. No, the Lord, is, except the, the Lord is the standard. His word is the standard. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withereth, and the flower there fadeth away, but the word of our God shall stand forever. No, when churches say God is still speaking, no, God has spoken. We've got the word of God. We've got the Bible, the canon scripture is completed. It's finished. We have a living document for all eternity. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, by the way. This scripture, this standardization comes from the basing our family values on the word of God. Three things about that. There must be, these family values must be, first of all, definable. And what do I mean by that? We must be able to define, succinctly define. I'm going to give you examples here in a few moments here. But we need to rightly define what we mean by our values. Let me give you for an example and give you the, well, fill in the blank with, the more succinct, the better. 
2 Timothy 1.12 will suffice for an example. For I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he, that's Jesus Christ, is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know whom I believed. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, and I'm being very specific, specific, that salvation is based in Jesus Christ. It's found in the person of the, the solid rock. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundational, bedrock, first base, fundamental, cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith. And when we're dealing with family values, we need to be succinct in what we believe. It's one thing to say, I believe in marriage. There's another thing to say, I believe in marriage between one man and one woman. There's another thing to say, I believe in marriage between one man and one woman for a lifetime. There's another thing to say, I believe that marriage is not ordained by the state, but by God Almighty. It transcends state laws, transcends federal laws, transcends what countries think about, and it's more than just love that makes a family, according, contrary to the bumper sticker. I want you to know that, there's, that family values are definable. They, the more succinct, the better. Secondly, there's support. They should be supportable. What do you mean by that? When I, was a, when I had three girls in my house, my three daughters that we raised, every once in a while they'd ask the question, you know you had this happen, Daddy, why, why do I have to do this or why, why, why are we doing that? Or so, and when I was too lazy to think of a real good answer, I said, because I said so. Well, that carries a lot of weight, doesn't it? Because I said so. No, it doesn't carry a whole lot of weight at all. Because sometimes what I say and what I think and what I believe, yes, tomorrow, I didn't believe today. And so it must be supportable. It must be more than what I said, because I said so, but more than just what I believe. It must be this family values that are sustaining and standardizing and solidifying and bedrock foundations there, what, what, what thus saith the Lord. Over 3,800 times in the Old Testament, it says something, this, something, this phrase, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. What does God say? You see, man's constantly changing. The psychologists are constantly changing. The psychiatrists are constantly changing. Teachers are constantly changing in their thought processes and their, their mor mores and their, their morals and their what's right and what's wrong. Religionists are constantly changing, but God abides forever. His word abides forever. And they must be supportable, not by what I say or what some doctor says, but what does thus, thus saith the Lord. And then let her see, and this is where the rubber meets the road. I, they must be, family values must thoroughly be observable. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Anybody can talk to talk. As I'm preaching to you this morning, and I don't point my finger too much, but I'm pointing my finger at you on purpose, trying to get you all finger pointed right now. As I point my index finger at all of you, I got three fingers pointed back at me. In one way, even though I have a hard time preaching, in one way, this is the easiest part of the job. Anybody can preach it. It's a whole lot harder to live in. Anybody can say it. It's a whole lot harder to do it. But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving your own selves. You see, real family values is what I say and systematically do or live. How do we live? Now, here's the real, the, the real meat of the message this morning here. And notice number three. I want you to consider for the few moments, I just want to provoke thought this morning as we begin to 
close close our message out this morning here. My statements on my family values. My statements. Now this, just to give you a forewarning or just let you know that this is a precursor. This is just a bare minimal outline, a threefold outline. This should be a whole mini-series in itself. There should be a 13-week series of messages just in and of itself, and we can make a whole year's series of messages, I'm sure, just on these values. But I wanted to break down my fam- our family values in three categories, three areas, if you will. I want you to consider for just a mo- moment, for a soundbite time, period of time, marriage values. What do you believe about marriage and Why? What's your belief system on marriage in regards to your family values? What you're inculcating to your children? What's marriage? Does love make a family? Does, does uh, whatever I want to think makes a family? Do I, the Mormons and the, and the uh, Jacobs, uh, the Old Testament, and the, if I want to marry six wives or 100 wives or 700 wives like Solomon or 300 wives, whatever, does that make a family? If I want to marry, and I don't mean to get graphic, but if I want to marry and we're there, if I want to marry my sister or marry my relatives, we used to have names for that. I think some of you know the word I'm looking for. I'll leave it unnamed. But now we're to the point where, hey, love's the only thing that's qualifier. Love makes a family, the bumper sticker says for the third time. No, God is the one that ordains marriage. We had a wedding here yesterday, and my pastor brother-in-law, of course, gave the benediction or gave the, the final, I almost haven't memorized this, my version of it, you know, now by the power invested in me. I've never, I'm not going to say this anymore. I used to say this for, for many, many, every wedding I've ever connected, or conducted, rather. I've always said, by the power invested in me as a minister of the state of Connecticut or Florida or wherever I was marrying somebody out, I always said that by the power invested in me by this state. No longer am I saying that. The state and the federal government, I have a higher jurisdiction than the state. My wedding is between, my marriage institution that we ordain, it's ordained from God, not from the government. And so our marriage values, Jesus said it this way. And I want you to consider in these little outlines here, and I meant to be, just to, meant to, again, to provoke thought. What's your stand on marriage? What do you believe about marriage? And you could have pages that you could write on this, or at least sound bites that you might want to write what you believe on marriage. But Jesus said when the disciples, or rather the Pharisees, were trying to tempt him in Matthew 19, verse 4, he answered and said unto them, Have you not read? Jesus got his authority from the Scripture, by the way. He said, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Well, that answers the question on how many genders there are right there. Male and female, not 57 like we're being told nowadays. It says, and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. I had three daughters. They're all married, as you all probably most all know. They all, they have, they all have a husband. No longer is dad the head of their patriarchal, no longer is I'm the head of that household. There's a leave and cleave principle. My sons-in-laws are responsible for raising their children and their, their, their being the, the master. Boy, that's a word that's taken in the wrong context. We get people mad of their own home. 
But that's what the scriptures say. Jesus said that they shall leave his wife and shall, they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain or two, but one flesh. Wherefore, four times in scriptures we find this phrase, wherefore, what therefore God hath joined together, do you know it? Let not man put asunder. God has values as far as marriage. One man for one woman for an earthly lifetime. That's God's value. Much more because he said about marriage values. I want you to consider, where do you get your marriage values from? Do you get them from the current events or the current trends of the day? Or do you get them from, your, from the word of God? And do you hold to them? It's one thing to say, I believe them. It's another thing to say, I, I live by them and I observe them. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. That's the Bible. This is number two here, quickly here. Just, just, just food for thought this morning. Consider secondly this morning as we take apart family values, first of all marriage values, secondly children values. What do I believe, where do I stand in regards to children, child raising? Whose children are they anyhow? Psalm 127 verse 3 answers that question. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of his womb, his reward. Those children do not belong to you. They do not belong to me. My children do not belong to me. They were a gift from God. I'm just a caretaker. They're God's children. My grandchildren don't belong to me. They're God's children. I'm just a co-grandpa. I'm a grandpa, rather. But they're owned by God. What's my stand? How do I raise them? Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. How do you train the child up in the word of God? I've said this last week. I think I said it the week before last. I don't mean to be harsh, and I always have to qualify this because I never want anybody to think I'm anti-education. But we spend hundreds and thousands of hours and hundreds of thousands of dollars for a period of about 13 to 18 or 20 years to live a life that's 70 years long, 30-some hours a week in most cases, to train our children. And we wouldn't think about not putting our little Johnny or Susie and make sure that they get to school on the school bus or what have you tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for six hours of school. We wouldn't think about letting them miss because we know we're good parents and we want them to be educated. But we see nothing wrong with missing the house of God on Sunday for one hour. Something's wrong with our values. When we have this as a concept, we really believe that these children, it's all about education. It's really all about, about uh, career opportunities and so forth. Misplaced wrong values. I have several subpoints underneath this children's values. For time's sake, let me just read what I have here. I ask, you, ask yourself the question, what's... Uh, on the importance of children, or uh, on the the uh, uh, on the important or on the responsibility of the father, ask yourself that question: What is the responsibility of the father in child raising, according to the Word of God? You want a verse, Hebrews, or rather Ephesians six three. Children be nurturers. I'm convinced, and I'll just sound bite. It's not meant to be a Father's Day message succinctly, but let's say it. Millions of people across America and around the world, for that matter, they cannot comprehend, even begin to get a glimpse of the loving, the, the, the uh, father in heaven that loves them because they've never had a father on earth that loves them. 
And we are to be earthly representatives of a heavenly father. I know it's a tough bill to fulfill. I get it. But what's the father's responsibility in child raising? What's the mother's responsibility in child raising? I wrote down Proverbs 31 for my answer. Many other verses could be used where her children rise up and call her blessed. What's my goal for my children as far as their career pursuits is concerned? Listen, everybody, I'm not against doctors and lawyers. I like them both when I need help. But everybody can't be a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher. Some people need to be, and you fill in the blank. There's a whole lot of other jobs out there besides those three. And I'm not bashing, I'm just saying. And we shouldn't just have our eyes on, the, well, what job makes the most money? There's much more to that than picking a career. Are, they, are we in the will of God? That should be our number one concern. Are they leaning out into Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are some verses I have down. Not leaning to our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledging him, putting Christ first in our life. That's my goal that my children have no greater joy than they walk with him. What's your values as far as children being raised in a scriptural home, coming to church and learning the word of God? Parmar's not here. I used him a couple weeks ago. Let me use him one more time. Their little seven-year-old, I, I'm, okay, hand-raising time. You're all obligated. I just popped in my head. How many know all 118? Is it 118? I think it is. I'm not even sure myself. 116? How many know how many, uh, 116 elements in order of the, uh, 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 oh, we got a chemistry teacher here. And she's shaking her head, no. Uh, uh, the, 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 what do you call that? The element, that periodic table. Thank you. I couldn't think of the name of the table. How many know? Even our chemistry teacher doesn't know all 118. But I was with a seven-year-old that knew all 118. I know all 50 states. All know, and by the way, he knew about 200 Bible verses as well. And I think he's going to grow up in putting the Lord first in his life because his mom and dad put the Lord first in his life. And he will be successful because they're not seeking him first but seeking the Lord first. So we have marriage values, we have children values. What are they? What, can you d- d- identify them in a thesis statement, in a soundbite? What your children values and your, your, how you raise your children? Can you write them down and can you have scriptural support why you do what you do? Number three, letter C rather. Consider home values for just a moment. What's your stand on, and I have a whole bunch here, I actually have seven here, your home values. What is your position and why do you hold it on alcohol and drugs? Listen, we could debate. I don't want to just get down in the mire. We could debate. I'm not naive. I know many of you, numbers of you at least, grew up in homes where a drink of wine was normal, was status and so forth. I get it. I understand that. And I know there's Christians who think they can take a drink or two. And you, you want me to placate you and say you, we're under grace, we're under grace. And maybe that won't hurt you. Now, I'll never condemn it 100% all the way because as long as I drink my night call, I'm not going to get on you. But I'm going to say, my, my Bible tells me, look not upon the wine when it's red. I'm going to say in my profession, in my world, I've seen scores and scores and scores of people, and I almost deal with it every week, that, that have lost their own well-being, their own family's life, and everything around them because of drink. Why do I not like drink? Because I've seen bad things happen. Well, that too, but that's not my reason why I hate drink. I hate drink because what the Word of God says about it. I have case number verses that I could give you. 
I hate drink because now we're, and we, on and on we go with drugs and so forth. And uh, do you have values, home values in regards to alcohol and drugs? Do you have home values in, in regards to uh, prayer life in their home? What, what, do you pray? We were in India, and I, I love to tell this story. I had one of those, you ever have a premonition? I had a premonition. We were in a greasy spoon breakfast joint, and we sat down, and uh, eight, four couples walked in, all elderly couples. They were in farm overall clothes. They were farmers from Indiana, of course, you could tell. They sat down at the table next to us, and I, says, I said in my head, I said, now you watch. These people are going to bow their head in a few minutes here, and they're going to pray and ask God, thank you for the food. And all of a sudden, one, one person said, and, and all eight of them bowed their heads and trusted. I, says, I said to myself, we're not in Connecticut any longer. We're in Indiana. What's your belief in prayer in regards to family prayer time and family prayer around the table? What's your television and movie standards? What do you allow your kids to watch? What do you watch? I know these are, you say, preacher, you're getting personal. Psalm 101, verse 3. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Oh, so much more could be said. What's your, what's your family values in regards to uh, financial giving to the house of God? What's your financial report in regards to, or financial report, what's your, what's your family value, excuse me, regards to accumulation of debt? Romans 13.8, oh no man anything, we're a credit card society. What's your family value, your home value in regards to church attendance and involvement? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the matter of some is. How about speech and profanity in your house? Uh, not be named once among you. We see all these things here that God says, I want you to have values and I want you to base it on the word of God. Folks, we're like a proverbial frog in the kettle for the last time. We've gotten so dumbed down. I was reading as I was studying for this message, I read an illustration. My daughter, middle daughter, Laura, some of you that know Laura well, knows that she was a I Love Lucy fan. In her room, she had everything all about Lucy. Lucille Ball. I said Desi Arnaz this morning in the morning service. I meant to say Lucille Ball, but anyhow. In 1950s, I Love Lucy, 10 million watchers, viewers in, in America. Lucy had a problem. She got pregnant in real life. And the producers of that television sitcom, they were in a conundrum. Because are you ready for this? This is a moral dilemma. They said either we got a new actress, but we can't replace Lucy. Or she's going to start to show. And so how are we going to fix this problem? You see, they didn't want to say, are you ready? They didn't want to say a, a bad word on television. A bad word. Now, brace yourself. You know, remember the word they didn't want to say? They didn't want to have to say in the 1950s the word pregnant. And so they said, well, we, we got to make sure she's with child and that she's pregnant and so forth and let, her, let folks know. Boy, how far we've come. Didn't want to say the word pregnant in the 1950s where we've come from today on primetime television and on the internet and at the gas station and on the boombox, how far we've come. Folks, we're slouching towards Gomorrah, just like Hosea, Ephraim, God was, if I could use some Marty Schott slang, you read this chapter, you study this book, God was 
for lack of a better word and phrase and slang, God was ticked off. God was incensed, to use a more biblical concept. He was tired of the abominations of Israel, the apple of his own eye, Ephraim. And he says, you're like a cake not turned. You're so far gone, you got gray hairs, you don't even know it. You can't even see it, you're far, that, that far gone. So here's the takeaway this morning, and I'm over time. My family values must be settled. I must get my family values from the solid rock of Christ and his scriptures. On Christ's solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other family values are values placed on sinking, shifting sands. I want my family to live for the Lord. I want my children, I want my grandchildren to live for the Lord. I know, I would guess that every Christian person in this room wants that same for their family as well. It starts with our, secretly in our heart, our family values, our, our values, where do they emanate from? We need to first get right with God. We're having a revival meeting this week. First, you say, preacher, how do we have revival? Draw a circle, step into it, and say, Lord, begin right here. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in your prayer. I want my family to live right, but before they live right, I must live right myself. Family values. Do you got some, and if you got them, where are they from? Hopefully they're from the word of God. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, your people listen very patiently. Lord, they've been studious, I believe, and Lord, but help us to take the word of God and Lord, apply it now. Speak to our hearts in this invitation time. Lord, do a will work of grace in our hearts and lives, we pray. We'll thank you for it. I pray these things and ask you blessings in these moments of invitation now in Jesus' name. Amen. And on Christ's solid rock I stand, all the ground is sinking.